You ever feel like maybe your people have lost their ability to dream? Or maybe that's you. Well, that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're joined by Stu Darling, founder and CEO of Unstoppable Force. He spent 20 years leading the British Army and he's gonna take those experiences and leadership and share those with organizations across the world. We all have the ability to reach beyond our limits, be unreasonable, raise our standards, and we know that teams that are unstoppable also communicate better, they can flex and evolve and perform under pressure. If that sounds interesting, just wait. I'm excited to share this with you. You ready? Let's do it. Stu, we appreciate yep. you hopping on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise, guys. I love talking to you the other day and looking forward to um, getting in and you know, really sharing our stories you know, again. It was such a fun call last time. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's do it. Yeah, we were, Jason and I were laughing. We were so excited for this because we got off the last call ready to run through a wall because you, you pumped us up so much. And so we're happy to have you on here. And we talked a lot about resilience, uh, but mm -hmm. your, your new branding initiative as and being an unstoppable force, I'd love you to start for us. Just what does unstoppable force mean to you? Why do you talk about it? Why are we talking about it today? You know, a lot of our listeners are people leaders in some form or fashion, whether that's HR or finance, and most of them are HR, but they deal mm -hmm. with the leadership of their people. Um, so I'd love you to kind of kick it off yeah, for us. Let the me, um, yeah, cool. Guys, let me take you back to the first race you ever entered. You probably don't really remember it, but it was a pretty brutal affair. And you, know, you were unreasonable. You had to be. Because if you weren't unreasonable, another sperm would have got to the egg and you wouldn't exist. That was how unstoppable we once were. That was the unstoppable force that created every single unique, amazing human being that there is and ever has been on planet Earth. That is the power of unstoppable force. When we're an unstoppable force, we can reach beyond our limits, those limits that society's put on us, that we've put on ourselves. So being an unstoppable force is about being unreasonable. It's about raising our standards. And it's about giving our ultimate sacrifice every day. And when I talk about our ultimate sacrifice, you know, in, in my past life, in my military career, your ultimate sacrifice you know, could have actually been your life. But what I'm talking mm -hmm. about in unstoppable force terms is about giving our time and our energy, you know, to those tasks that we don't really want to do or for those people that, you know, Maybe we'd just rather not. Well, yeah, that's our ultimate sacrifice. So, yeah, for me, we are all unstoppable forces. We just forgot at some point down the line. An unstoppable force is all about yeah, helping us, including me, find our way back there. I love I mean, that you take it all the way back to the beginning because it just goes to show you we're, we're stronger than we think. We've done it before. We're yeah, yeah, it's it's one that comes up. My wife is the um, is the other half of this business, and she is uh, she's been a career nurse and midwife in the um, you know, in in the medical world, and mm -hmm. she talks about the first thousand days of of baby's life, 
Um, and the first thousand days is, you know, that period of time where, where um, our bodies, our brains are in completely subconscious mode. We're just soaking everything in, whether that's um, positivity, negativity, whether it's joy, whether it's violence. You know, the, the, the human body, the human brain is just, just soaking all that stuff in. And it wasn't until a conversation I had with her a little while ago that she reminded me that the first thousand days starts right at the point of procreation. That's when it starts. So yeah, that is the that's the importance of actually going all the way back to the beginning and realizing that that is that is where that's where we start. Stu, I love hearing that. I mean, I got to say the the first thing that comes to my mind when you go back to, uh, you know, when we're we're kids and I hear the the phrase unstoppable force, I think about we're we're fearless when we're kids. When we're kids, mm. think about when we were young boys, we would do wild things like we like we were, you know, invincible, like we would jump off of things high and think we can accomplish anything. And then life mm -hmm. hits us as we get older then we get more timid yeah. and more scared and more like gradually as we go along. So that's what I think about when I hear you say that. Yeah. So, so look, yep. you know, around about mm -hmm. the age of six, and this happens to us all around about the age of six because of what's going on in our brains. Around about the age of six, someone said to us, just grow up or you're too old yeah. to be playing with those toys. Now, the yeah. first time it was said to us, we ignored it and we just kept being superhuman. And we just, yeah, and, and then it happened again, and we ignored it again. And the, yeah, the challenge is that this would have been a parent, a carer, or a teacher, someone that we respected a lot. And yeah, maybe the third or fourth time someone said that to us, the earwig started, and we started telling ourselves that. And when we started telling ourselves that, we started to minimize our unstoppable force. We started thinking, oh, now I've got to fit in. Rather than going out there and being unreasonable and being the standard that I choose to be, we began to fit into society. And that was where it began until we grew, we all grew up and we joined businesses and we started an organizations and they said, I want you to be innovative. And we went, what is, what's this innovation word? And they go, well, it's like your imagination, like when you were a kid. And we come full circle again, but yeah, we've we've learned to limit yeah. ourselves at that point. So yeah, I'm completely with you. We've done some work with school kids in the past, and you know, when you say to them, right, talk talk to me about your dreams, guys. You know, we've got people playing in the NFL. We've got guys playing for the All Blacks. We've got kids riding to school on sparkly unicorns. Their life is ahead of them. They can do anything. And then you turn to their parents, and their parents just go, yeah. Mm. Yep. Then you ask the teachers, yep. and the teachers just don't say anything. So yeah, I'm I'm with you completely, Jason. Yeah, we, we've got we got to find that because yeah, there was a we were all superheroes when we were kids, and we can still be superheroes. We just yeah, we just got to find our way back. I'm sure there's some stories of Jason jumping off some high buildings or <laughs> roof or climbing a oh, tree yeah. or something. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. In the, and then being taken to the ER. I get yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did it with my kids. Did it with me. Well, that's a good point, though. Uh, Jason brought up like, how do we? And I'm curious how we get back to the unstoppable force. It's but like I know there's also there's a few questions that you asked us, and I'm sure the listeners would love to jot those down as well. You hit on one of them a little bit with the unreasonable thing, but do you want to do you want to start there? 
Yeah, look, boy, start on the unreasonable side of things. Look, you're being unreasonable is actually becoming unreasonable again is simple. It's not easy, but it really is simple. And this is, yeah, this is an exercise we do in our workshops. Um, yeah, if we if we have a conversation about what we need in the world, um, you know, some people are going to rattle off Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I mean, what do we actually need? Well, we need we need air, we need water, we need food. As a species, we need to um, to to reproduce, um, and depending on the communities that we live in, you know, some people might say, well, I need transport, I need healthcare, I need a purpose. And, you know, we're going to fill out this box that says, right, these are the things that we need in life. But, you know, when we're talking about the things we need, it's pretty flat. This is survival mode that we're in. And too many of us live in that space because that's what the media feeds us all of the time. We, you know, we see the challenges that are going on in the world. So then we raise it up a little bit and we say, right, what do you want? And what we want really is community based. You know, we're you know, you know, we are likely to say, well, I want a decent house. I want a decent car. Maybe I want a sports car. Um, I want a holiday. I want education for my kids. I, yeah, and these wants really sort of talk about this, as I say, the societies we are in. But when we talk about want, we're still coming from a position of lack. I want mm-hmm. a a new car. Well, that means I don't have a new car. I want a new flat screen TV. Well, that means I don't have a flat screen TV. And when we live in want, it means that we are living in scarcity. We lack security. And this really becomes a problem for for humanity because if we're living in a place of um, fear, in a place of scarcity, then we can't move up into um, your Maslow's third level, which is love and belonging. So if we're living in a world of want and expectation, it means that we are failing to love ourselves and failing to love the people around about us. And until we do that, we can't get into the next level. And this is where we come back to being unreasonable. Being unreasonable is nothing more than going out and chasing our dreams. You know, maybe those dreams that we had when we were school kids that we didn't quite get to. You know, when I was seven years old, I stood underneath the um, the Saturn V rocket that was going to be the Apollo 18 mission that didn't leave, um, yeah, didn't leave our atmosphere. And in that moment, I decided I chose to be an astronaut. That was my dream. Five minutes later, a tour guide at Cape Canaveral told me I couldn't be. <laughs> just killed my dreams there and then. Because mm-hmm. at the time, you had to be um, an American citizen or you had to come from the, the Soviet Union. So, yeah, she was right. I couldn't be. Um, fortunately, now we've got some great entrepreneurs who've recognized my dream and will you know, allow me to fly in space one day. But you know that dream has stayed with me. So maybe we go back to our childhood and say, well, what were those dreams? What did I choose to be? The other way to do it is to jump forward five to 10 years and have a look at what we choose our life to be like then. And that's the dream that we then begin to visualize and we begin to manifest. That's how we become unreasonable again. You know, we've become frightened of the word unreasonable because you know we've got left-wing fundamentalists, right-wing fundamentalists, the, you know, and, and and beyond that, we've got the people that you know most most of us would say are the crazies. That doesn't mean they don't have some good ideas, but they're so far left and right that if we even just suggest something that's slightly left or right, we are frightened 
that we will get included way out there in the fundamentalist region of space. So we stop. But there's nothing wrong with being unreasonable. We're meant to be. That's how growth happens. So go back to it and yeah, have a yeah, think about your needs. Think about what your wants are, but then give yourself permission. This is the first step of dreams. Give yourself permission to dream again and take it out for a run, take it out into nature and just think about your dreams. And then the second bit, and this is sometimes the real challenge. The second bit is share them. Share your dreams with someone who you can be vulnerable with. Because what happens, you're too often when we're dreaming, we um, we don't give it words. It just stays in here, or maybe at best it stays in our heart. We don't talk about them. When we give words to anything, our fears or our dreams, our mm-hmm. conscious mind grabs it and we begin to solve it. We begin to go, oh, this is, I can do this. And I see it. Yeah, I see all of the time in our workshops. Some people have got dreams that they have sat on for like years. And then they give the dream words. And all of a sudden, they begin to find the path towards them. That's how we become unstoppable. That's how, yeah, that's that unreasonable piece. So good. I'm glad you took it back to childhood dreams, too. It's funny timing. I was actually on an event that a friend of ours, of Jason one, hosted us a LinkedIn live event. And that was one of the questions mm-hmm. she asked. What did you, what was your dream? What was your dream job when you, when you were a kid? And, you know, astronaut, yep. teacher, mm-hmm. firefighter, musician, like all sorts of these crazy, creative, ambitious goals. And we get away from that, don't we? Yeah, we, we do because, yeah, yeah. It's I'm, okay to keep, I mean, I keep get it. Those as we get older, we can't lose sight of it. Yeah, we, you know, we, uh, the great thing about dreams is they, um, you know, they, they don't leave us. I mean, Paulo Coelho talks about it in, um, in his book, The Alchemist, that, you know, they, they don't, they don't leave us. Um, but mm-hmm. too often we leave them and we leave them for really, really good reasons. I mean, let's be honest here. You know, we grow up, we go to school, we get, you know, we go to college, we end up with, we end up with debts, we've got to get a job, we, and we do what society tells us to do. We've got all of that parental mm-hmm. stuff that we're sitting on in the background, mm-hmm. and we just get stuck. Um, and then, you know, maybe it's not until much later on in life that we've got that disposable income that allows us to think about our dreams again. But by then, it's too late. Oh, I was just thinking as you were talking through that and, you know, how you mentioned that in the workplace, since we have a lot of our listeners or like Thomas mentioned, HR leaders and uh, decision makers on that level. I'm curious to get your thoughts on how to have that resilience, but also mm-hmm. want the fine line of conforming within an organization as well. How to keep that dream, that motivation, but like you said, at the same time, without getting stuck in what yep. the company has to offer, but still at the same time trying to walk that fine line. Does that make sense to have that resiliency within? Yeah, look, it, like, it totally does. And, that with that, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it totally does, Jason. And um, yeah, I mean, that perfectly brings us, it's almost as if we rehearsed it, that perfectly brings us to talking about raising our standard. Um, you know, we, we live in a world where we have, you know, everyone knows their rights, but too many people have forgotten their responsibilities. Um, and that's individuals and that's businesses as well. 
Um, so, you know, one of the one of the things that we do, and and, and all about raising our standard, is that you um, all businesses, most businesses in this day and age, certainly corporates, have values. They have standards, um, and these were you know, the whole concept of values and standards for organisations were born out of the um, the American forces and the um, and the, the the British Army. Um, and the values and standards that are used so that you, you know what you are a part of, what you are joining. And they sit, yeah, yes, we have the rules and we have the regulations and we have the company handbook that tells us what we can and we can't do. But actually, if we align to the values, then it's all about responsibility. So the company handbook is about the rules that we have got to adhere to. And you know, employment law is all about the, the, the laws that the business has to, um, to adhere to. But if we flip it and say, do you know what? If we focus more on our values, then we, get, we keep the right people in the organization and we get the right people joining our organization. So we've got to move beyond, yeah, too often values are the four words, and it's, we are honest, we are trustworthy, and we act with integrity. And you go, well, holy crap, every business that I want to work with should have should be those anyway. That should be unspoken. But what are our values? And you know, my values are bravery, tenacity, and yeah. enthusiasm. I'm an inspiration, I'm honest, and I'm present towards everyone I meet. Great. Anyone who meets me can expect that. That's what I expect of myself every day. So if we've got our values that are more than just words, maybe they are statements. And those statements are used and we are held accountable to those statements at team meetings, at, um, at, you know, even at board level, so that they are alive in the business. They're more than just words on a poster. One of my clients has actually created a piece of art that looks like a thoroughbred racehorse because that's the business. But as you move closer, you see that the racehorse and the colors of the piece of art are made up of the words that they used when we were doing the values framework with them. So they're there. They are alive in the business. Now, when we live to our values as an organization or you know, individuals in the organization, well, it means that HR becomes simple because HR mm -hmm. issues are no longer about Jason and Stu or Tom and Stu having a disagreement. It becomes a conversation about which of the values did you uphold when you did that thing? And then we can have a conversation about the, what needs to happen to get us back to that standard, that responsibility that we all have to one another. Now, those people who choose not to align to those values, that's entirely cool. There are other organizations out there that will welcome them with open arms. When we are hiring new high-quality team members, well, the interview, maybe you don't go through the values, but in the back of the mind is the interviewer. You're having a conversation. You're thinking, okay, yep, they align to that value. They align to, oh, maybe not. Well, we need a conversation about that value because I'm not understanding it. So it all becomes simpler because we move away from the rules and we bring in the values framework. 
And that allows us to continue to raise our standards because let's face it, rules and laws are set at the lowest common denominator. And it's generally about what can we get away with. Values are about the higher level and raising our values. So that's that's how we do it in organizations. And if you understand your values, then you can be unreasonable within that framework. Does that make sense? 100%. Absolutely. And so Jason's probably going to start laughing as soon as I start talking, but I do this every <laughs> – it feels like I do this every episode because it takes me back to when we were talking about employer branding with Travis mm-hmm. Brown, and he was talking about – before you market yourself as an organization, you have to know those values. So then you can hire to it, fire to it, yeah. coach to it, and everything comes back to the values, just like you're totally. saying, Steve. So thank you. Yeah, no, it, you're totally right. And you know, it's it, it really does come down to, yeah, it, it aligns with the values. It, it, beca- it really simplifies everything that we're doing. I mean, your one business we worked with a little while ago, they came up with six values in the end and every value had then had bullet points. So, you know, our value was um, respectability, let's say. And then they had six bullet points underneath it to say, this is what respectability means to this organization. And I thought, that's awesome. Landed. They then came back to me a few weeks Mm -hmm. later and said, what we're going to do is we're actually going to create a a company um, magazine that will go out 10 times a year. And what we're going to do is we're going to go out to the business and invite people to tell their stories about the values. So the company magazine became the value story. I mean, what a great way to invite people to join your company. You're going to have people knocking on the door saying, you know, next time you're hiring, can you give me a shout? Because I completely agree. It's about hiring the right people. Now, I mean, this is is one that does cause debate because do you want um, an accountant who's a pain in the ass or do you want a great person that you can train to be an accountant? Well, yeah, you actually need the accountant. So there are, you know, there is a skills conversation to be had in some roles, but in other roles, you're higher for the values because that's mm-hmm. what's going to help the business fly. Yeah. No, that's Love good that. stuff. That's really good stuff. I like how you tied it to the people, Stu. I think a lot of organizations sometimes forget, like that's where. That's where everything starts. The one people that are on the ground that that your customers see first, right? That's where you put yeah. the people out front to talk to to spread your matches, right? Your values, right? This is who we are. You can't and hide behind them. That your people tell your story, right? Yeah, completely. And so you 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 raise a really great point, Jason. That you quite often um, values are things that are done to the lower levels of the organization. You know, the board, the executive will sit there and say, "Wow, these are our values." I, well, yeah, but did you check? <laughs> did you go and ask the guys? Or did you just... And then all of a sudden, people go, that's not my values. And you go, well, that means you don't fit in. So the way that we do it is we actually get... We've got a, a matrix. We we bring the whole business in and go, right, we do the values exercise for every single person. So you know, the, um, the byproduct is... Yeah, because for the most part, we don't do values work personally or in our families. So the first step is every single person gets a first stab at what their values are. We then collate all of those values and we then go back to the executive and say, look, 
these are your spikes. These are the high points in your, all of the words and all of the conversations we had. This is what it looks like. Do you agree? And they'll, yeah, they'll play around with it and then we'll come back and go, right, okay. So now we go into a six months process of testing the values. And we test the values at all levels of the organization. And in most cases, they land fairly well. They land, and that's the, you know, the, those will be the values that the business moves forward with. And then when people are interviewed for new roles in the business, that's where they come in and they go, right, okay, well, yeah, this organization suits, suits me. So um, you know, if, if an organization yeah, has the capacity, not the willingness because yeah, executives go in. What well, we've got to we've got to bring everyone in to do this. Yeah, it's sometimes sometimes a little. You've got to be vulnerable. But hey, that's what leadership is. Leadership is being vulnerable. Um, you ask the team in, and you will come up with a far more robust set of values. And the other thing you get is buy-in. The people in the organisation who are part of setting those values, yet they've got nowhere to go. HR's job just becomes even easier. Yeah, because, yeah. well, weren't you here when we did the values work and you agreed to the values? So where do we need to take this conversation? You see how yeah. simple it can become. Yeah. Then you get increased engagement, right? Increased All of that. Yep. You just add to it. Yeah. That's good All stuff. of that. So, and what does that do? It causes us to become unstoppable. You know, the businesses that use the three critical steps can't not be unstoppable if that's the right way of putting it, they've got to become unstoppable just because they're, they're doing the work. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's that simple. It's, it's what kept me alive for 20 years running covert operations. Well, these are the three things you've got to do, Stu. All right, then. Let best I do them. <laughs> that's awesome. That's I love awesome. it, Stu. And I continue to be inspired by your, your passion for – organizations and the executives that lead organizations and the people that work for the organizations and helping them become unstoppable. And I think this has helped people get a different definition of unreasonable. I remember the first mm. time you asked us, I'm like, unreasonable. I had this negative, <laughs> yeah. this negative <laughs> definition of it, but it's not. It's I'm chasing my dreams. It's and our I, birthright, I guys. Yeah. Being unreasonable is our birthright, but it's a little bit like the word predator. Yeah, the word predator has been shifted by society and then led by the media. You know, when we say the word predator, we think, oh, a bad person. Well, <laughs> no, we are predators. And there's a really, really simple exercise that we can all do to see if we are predators. If you're a little bit shocked by that statement, go and look in the mirror, right? Because if you're a predator, your eyes are there. If you're not, they're there. There is the evidence mm -hmm. that we are predatory. But being a predator means that we go out and we protect our team. We look after the team about us. Jump onto um, National Geographic and watch a program about wolves. You're an apex predator. They look after one another. They look after the young. They look after the old, look after one another. Yeah. Being unreasonable is no different. It's a birthright that has been taken away from us. And now is our time to say, actually, do you know what? I'm going to be unreasonable. But I also recognize that 
being unreasonable comes with a responsibility. And that responsibility is that I have to live to my values. Well said. That's good stuff. And before, before we let you go, Stu. Yep. Do us a favor and kind of summarize it into one to three bullet points. If I'm listening to this, like what can, what can I do? What can my team do? Like what are the first things we should take to get closer to being that unstoppable force? Okay. Um, yeah, and we've covered two of them. So, yeah, the first one is go out there and start dreaming again and tell someone about your dreams. That's step one. Step two is take some time to think about your values. The easiest way to do that is to get a sheet of paper and write down the 20 words that you think best describe you. That's tough, but do 20. When you've got that 20, score out half of them. Now, that might mean you'll invent some new words, but you're going to have 10 words now. When you've got 10, score out another four, and you're going to reshape it again, and then score out another three. You are going to land on your first ever set of values to describe you. So that's step two. So step one, dreams, share them. Step two is go from 20 to three words that describe you. And then the third step is go out and be vulnerable. That is the ultimate sacrifice that we can make to today's society. So sharing your dreams creates a vulnerability. Um, sharing your values creates a vulnerability. But do you know the best way to create vulnerability in today's society is to walk down the street and smile at someone. Or next time you're at the superstore, next time you're at the grocery store, start a conversation with the, um, the, the, the checkout person and use their name. You know, we've got name badges and people think name badges are there so we know who to complain about. Well, yeah, that's a pretty twisted society. So the thing, you know, so yeah, the third thing is go out and give the ultimate sacrifice. And that's about being vulnerable. Smile at someone in the street, say hi to Anne at the checkout. And you're know, just doing those three things, those three steps, that will move you towards being an unstoppable force. Cause you'll realize that it's not that difficult. It takes a bit of braverism. But it's not that difficult. And when you get comfortable with that, you can then go forward and make your dreams even bigger, review your values even more, and you have those challenging conversations. I'm going to say challenging, vulnerable conversations with people that maybe not. Those are the three things that all of us can do right now that will help the world become more of an unstoppable force, the unstoppable force that we all deserve. <clears throat> Boom. Jason, this is why we need an old mic. And so we just like, drop it every That's time. That's what you call the mic drop, Stu. <laughs> that is the uh, mic drum. <laughs> cool. Oh, fantastic. Stu, thanks Stu. again, man. This has been great. Inspiring, educating, just just great, great gems you dropped here for us and our listeners, man. We cannot thank you enough, Stu. Stu, darling, well, thank you so yeah, much. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It, yeah, it was great to talk. Um, and yeah, this all of this is possible. Yeah, because we are all living examples of how we can do it. Let's just keep going. Awesome. Stu, thank you so much. That was amazing. Uh, for the listeners out there, I always like to share some takeaways, and there's so many here. Uh, but give yourself permission to dream again. Get back to that. Um, 
Help yourself become an unstoppable force. Help your people become an unstoppable force and help your organization reach beyond its limits. I'll put Stu's information down in the show notes for you. He's got a new show on YouTube, Unstoppable Force. Check it out. I can't wait to see what he does with that. But we will see you all back here next week.